as we look more carefully at this work that Jesus does. But hear this good news about Jesus. One day, as Jesus was standing at the Lake of Gennesaret, or as some of us know, as the Sea of Galilee, people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, which the fishermen had left while they were washing their nets. He got into one of them, the one belonging to Simon, who also goes by the name of Peter. And he asked him, that is Simon, to put out a little from the shore. Jesus sat down and began to teach the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep waters and put out in the deep waters and put down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, we have worked hard all night, master, but haven't caught anything. Because you say so, I will do it. When they did so, they caught so many fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners to come over and help them. And they came over and put the fish in the boat such that they began to sink. When Simon saw this, he fell at the knees of Jesus and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinner. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinner. For he and his companions were astonished by the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled the boats on the shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. Would you join me in a prayer as we consider this good news about Jesus? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, the ministry that we read about that is recorded in the Gospels is a ministry that we celebrate you do today. Now with all authority, glory, honor, power, and presence. You are not distant, Lord Jesus, but you are actively working. We pray that the Spirit of God would give each of us here, whatever our spiritual starting point, the eyes to recognize your work, to welcome your work, and to participate in your work. For the praise of your name only. Amen. When I was 13 years old, my father took me to hear a famous speaker whose words shaped me then and impact my approach to this passage yet this morning. 
Most of you will not know who the speaker is that I mention. If I was with the Filipino community that gathers each Sunday afternoon here, they would know the speaker because the evangelism training he introduced is training that they still practice. His name was James Kennedy, and he was speaking from Mark 1, verse 17, where Jesus says to his disciples, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. The speaker made this proposition. If we are following Jesus, then Jesus will make us become people able to share the good news with others. If we say we are Christians, but are not becoming people able to share the good news with others, is it likely that we are not following Jesus? As a 13-year-old boy, just learning to follow Jesus and likely not hearing everything he said, I was terrified by these words. I was terrified at the possibility that I would be missed in this work of Jesus. But in hindsight and over the years, I realize now that Jesus graced me by hearing a specific word for me at that time. It was the words, fear not, I will make you. And it's not, I will make you. It's, I will bring this about in your life. Since then, over many decades, I have been deeply attracted to the diverse and deeply personal ways Jesus does his work in each person differently to form us as his followers, equipped to help others know him. Luke 5 is one such passage where I came to see how Jesus motivates people like us to follow him and then forms us, transforms us over time to be people that bear witness to Jesus with words and deeds that are in harmony, with words that are reflected in deeds that point to who Jesus really is and that then welcome others to Jesus. I want to look with you from this passage at seven such ways that Jesus does his work, not only in Peter's life, but in ours. By recognizing this work of Jesus, my hope is that you will welcome this work of Jesus in your life, whatever your spiritual starting point is here this morning. The story I brought to you, you can find if you don't have a Bible with you and if you're not familiar with the Bible, on page 835 in the Pew Bibles. And it starts at the water's edge in Capernaum, which is the home of Peter on the north end of the Sea of Galilee, called also, as you heard, the Lake of Gennesaret. If you were here last week, we looked at the profound ways Jesus demonstrated his authority in Capernaum with words that were in harmony with deeds such that people were lifted up to know and experience the good news that Jesus brings. Now, 
we see Jesus standing by the water with people again crowding around him to hear his words. And near the water's edge was Peter with his companions and his partners washing their nets. They too could hear Jesus teach. So what are ways that Jesus forms Peter to become a follower of him and a fisher of others that might help us recognize this work in our own lives? Well, first, Jesus graces Peter. God graces Peter and us to hear his teaching and to see his words and works in perfect harmony. It is not a grace to spend your life looking at all the ways Christians fail to display his words and works in harmony. But it is a grace when Jesus enables us to see his words and his works in harmony such that we are lifted to Jesus. It was not the first time Peter heard, had heard Jesus nor seen his authority used to lift up the lives of people to himself and through himself. In the previous episode, people had brought Jesus to his own home where Jesus had delivered Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. Jesus is not just doing his work in the religious synagogues, inside religious buildings, but in homes, in the public arenas, in desert places, and here at the water's edge where the crowds have gathered. Peter is graced to hear the words of Jesus and see his deeds, quote, accomplish the reality of his words, as Pastor Andrew helpfully said last week. What grace to hear the words of Jesus and see them demonstrated as real. Peter received this grace from God. Jesus does this work in our lives too. Think of when you first heard about Jesus with words and deeds in harmony. This is the work of Jesus that he has graced you to see this. Every time we have baptisms here, it is our joy to hear short testimonies where without exception, those sharing speak of how they first heard the word of Jesus in ways where deeds and words were in harmony. A family member, a friend, a colleague, a speaker, a church community seeking to live out the words of Jesus. My mind thinks of so many times. Jesus has graced me to see his words and deeds practiced in harmony together. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see and recognize this work of Jesus. For Peter, Jesus graced him with hearing his teaching and seeing his authority used to liberate people in his own hometown. These were people he knew he had seen set free. Oh, the glory of seeing this work of Jesus. But this is only the beginning of the work of Jesus 
forming Peter and us to follow him and become people whose witness to Jesus is with words and deeds in harmony. Let's look further. Because in the midst of Peter hearing and seeing the word of God, Jesus gets Peter's attention as he also does in our lives by speaking a specific word. Up to this point in the story, Peter was able to keep his distance from Jesus. He heard his teaching, he saw his works, but he was able to stay in the backdrop as part of the crowds. But this is not what happens in the story, in the next part of the story, nor in our lives. Jesus gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Peter, and asks Peter to put out a little from shore. Things are getting personal. This fishing boat, 20 to 30 feet in length, required someone to keep the oars in the water, balancing it, especially when it is going to be used as a pulpit to fish by Jesus among the crowds. Jesus got Peter's attention by asking him for help. Some might say that Peter owed Jesus this one. Truly, Jesus had healed his mother-in-law. But this is not why Jesus asked him. Jesus was doing in Peter what he does in the lives of so many of us. He gets our attention by speaking a specific word to us. Peter, put out a little from shore. Jesus then sits down in the boat and teaches the people from it. Can you imagine what Peter is thinking? He has to row to keep the boat balanced, is forced to listen to Jesus, likely asking himself, how did I get involved here? How did I get involved in this man's life? What is he doing here? How long is he going to talk? And he's sitting in my boat. Many of you have experienced this specific word of Jesus spoken to you. In my own life, when Andrew led the preaching teaching team a few weeks ago through the passage he then brought us last week, God spoke a specific word to me. I noticed that when Jesus shows up in Capernaum, the demons were all worked up. The people were all excited. But Jesus wasn't. In fact, he went off to a solitary place and the next day says, I must go on to bring the good news there too. He was secure in the authority given him for the mission to which the Father had sent him. As we studied this passage together, the Spirit of God spoke to me a specific word saying, Tim, I want you to rest more in the authority of Jesus as you serve him, that you not get so worked up, that you trust in the authority of Jesus more, that you rest in his authority. From these words, I've thought of words that Barbara, my wife, and I share often from Isaiah 30, verse 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Since this time on February 28th, 
God has given me a greater quietness as I have served Christ in this community and faced many challenges like you do each day. Jesus is not worked up in the challenges we face. Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, is not worked up by the problems of the world. He is Lord over all. Trusting in his authority in these situations, we can rest in him. You can rest in him. In the prayer this morning, we prayed not only for the situation in New Zealand, but we also prayed for the death of people through this Ethiopian airlines. And I thought of what Aobed had shared with me, so excited as one who had to escape Eritrea about the new prime minister of Ethiopia, a committed Christian who's seeking to build peacemaking bridges between countries that have lived in hostility with each other. And I picture, I don't know details of this prime minister mobilizing the people of that land to seek God together, to display Jesus' ministry of comforting those who mourn. As we think of New Zealand, where Muslims were killed ruthlessly, I think of the church rising up that the words of Jesus and the deeds of Jesus might be demonstrated in a manner that might show the love of Christ to those who have experienced evil. Do you recognize these words of Jesus in your life? Jesus graces us to hear his words and see his words and deeds in harmony It is not his grace to complain and focus your eyes on where that's not happening. But it is grace to see the infinite ways in which his words and deeds are expressed in harmony that lifts others and us to Jesus. Do you recognize this work of Jesus when he gets your attention through a specific word spoken for you to hear. But as we look at the story, we see that Jesus is far from finished in his work of forming Peter to follow him and transforming him to serve Jesus in the lives of others. The next thing we see in this passage is that Jesus claims lordship over Peter's self-confidence and over Peter's competence. The one area where Peter felt confident was his fishing. He was a fisherman. He even had partners and a second boat. This was his livelihood, and he was good at it. He knew how to fish. All fishermen who fished this body of water, knew that the best fishing was at night when the fish come closer to the shore for the fresh water springs and streams that feed the lake and who come to feed in the shadows before the lake plunges into great depths. Peter, as a fisherman, knew with certainty that the worst time to fish in the deep was in the day. Peter was self-confident in his confidence even if he had had a bad night. After Jesus 
had finished speaking, he said to Peter, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Jesus doesn't simply claim lordship over Peter's self-confidence, his competence, but promises an impossible outcome for a catch. Why should Peter trust Jesus? Why should we trust Jesus? Jesus then leads Peter to do what he has led many of us to do. Based on what Peter had heard from the words and deeds of Jesus, Jesus leads Peter to offer reluctant obedience, what some call arrogant obedience. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. <sighs> because you say so, we will do it. How many times don't you hear Jesus claim lordship over your self-confidence, over your illusions of competence? And if I may add, over your insecurities. Holding on to our insecurities is just another form of pride that Jesus comes with authority to deliver us from. And I can give examples from my own life about that one. Jesus claims lordship by telling us what to do and promising us an impossible outcome. Again and again, Jesus will make you aware of yet another area of your life where he is Lord. It is not that you are Lord until you recognize his lordship. Jesus is Lord over all of life, including all areas of your life, even if you don't recognize his lordship. We don't make him Lord. It's through his death and resurrection that he is Lord. When the Spirit of God makes you aware of another area of your life where he is claiming lordship, and he offers you to respond in obedience, even reluctant obedience. It is not helpful if you try to run from this work. God can run farther, and he can run faster. I mentioned earlier how Isaiah 30 verse 15 has impacted Barbara and me deeply. But the larger context of this passage speaks of what happens when we try to run from God's claim of lordship over our lives. In Isaiah 30, 15 through 18, listen as I read. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it speaking to the people of God. You said, no, no, no. We will flee on horses that they got from Egypt. Therefore, God says, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, God says, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. This sounds like sheer terror in God's people. At the threat of five. You will all flee away, complete terror. 
till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on the hill. And if that sounds lonely to you, it means being all alone. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. In this passage, because the people of God tried to run from God's kindness, God chased them until they were exhausted from their own running. For Peter, Jesus was showing him his lordship even over his livelihood. As Jesus works in our lives, we might pray, Lord, do you really have authority over my work, over this situation at work, my money, over this decision about money, my education, and the details of how I learn, my relationships, even the most difficult ones? my thought life, my heart, my attitudes, my habits, my works, my daily routines? The answer of Jesus is yes. Jesus accepts our reluctant obedience, but he's not finished with us yet. In the life of Peter, Jesus demonstrates to Peter his immeasurably more. Peter and his companions, including James and John, are astounded at the catch of fish. Their nets are breaking. Their boats are sinking. In Ephesians 3, another follower of Jesus, Paul says at the end of a prayer, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, than all we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Oh, in this story, the immeasurably more was lots of fish and an understanding of Jesus and the lordship of Jesus that left Peter and his companions willing to abandon everything and follow Jesus. In your life, the immeasurably more will be yet another of the infinite ways that Jesus does his immeasurably more. Do not quantify, that is, measure how many, or qualify measure how great or less the glory of God labeling this kind of work as immeasurably more while discounting something more ordinary as if it was not part of his immeasurably more. It is unhelpful when you narrow your vision to say, ah, this is the immeasurably more of Jesus and miss the infinite immeasurably more that each of you experience every day if the Holy Spirit will give us eyes to see. Jesus is working today. Spirit of God, give us eyes to see. The immeasurably more of Jesus 
might be that he softens your heart to go into a business meeting that you have with a teachable attitude, even with a boss that's difficult. It might be a quietness that you have as you study for a big test or a clarity of mind or a confidence in him as you go in that test. It might be an encouraging word shared by someone when you feel you can't go on. The possibilities of his infinitely more are truly, immeasurably more, are truly infinite. All of which demonstrate the deeds and words of Jesus in harmony. All of which see his deeds accomplishing the reality of his words. As I speak, is the Spirit of God enabling you to recognize the work, this work of Jesus in your life? Is the Spirit of God gracing you to realize you've been hearing his word and actually seeing multiple ways his words are and deeds are expressed in a harmony that lifts you to see Jesus as he really is. It's the Spirit of God enabling you to pay attention to a specific word that Jesus is wanting to say to you. With Peter, he got him away from the crowds because Peter was influenced by the crowds. What about you and that specific word that he is saying to you? Is the Spirit of God enabling you to recognize Christ's claim of lordship over your self-confidence, over your illusions of confident competence, and yes, over your insecurities? Is the Spirit of God nudging you and motivating you even to offer reluctant obedience? Master, I've worked so hard at this area of my life and nothing has changed. But because you promise, I will dare to begin to believe. It's the Spirit of God allowing you to see His infinitely, immeasurably more. But Jesus is not finished yet in the life of Peter nor is he in our lives. As we look at Peter in this story, we see that Jesus leads him to surrender to God's holiness, to see the depths of his own sin, to seek God's forgiveness, to fall at the knees of Jesus as Lord. This, too, is the work of Jesus this is his work in our lives too. As we journey through the book of Luke and Acts, we will come to see that God delights in leading us to repent. He rejoices over repentance. As Jesus leads people to see God's holiness, they come to see their need for salvation from him who came to save. They see that they are even deeper sinners than they have ever thought. A true mark of a follower of Jesus is not one who says, you are a sinner and need to repent. The mark of a follower of Jesus 
is to say we are sinners. Let me share with you how Jesus has been leading me to repent so you might know that you are not alone in your sin and in need of a Savior. When Jesus leads us to see him in his holiness, he always leads us to see our sin. Recently, Barbara and I were sharing with one another insights from different books we were reading. Barbara was reading a book called Surprised by Joy by a respected Christian author called C.S. Lewis. He was an English scholar who was an atheist before he became a Christian. In his book, he tells of how God worked in his life like a chess game, bringing him to the point of checkmate. As he comes close to surrender, C.S. Lewis writes, Really, a young atheist cannot guard his faith too carefully. That's a really funny statement. Let me read that again. Really, a young atheist cannot guard his faith too carefully. Dangers lie in wait for him on every side. All my acts, desires, and thoughts were to be brought in harmony with God. In other words, nothing was to be kept separate from God. They were to be brought under the lordship of God. For the first time, I examine myself with a seriously practical purpose. And he writes, and there I find, found what appalled me. And he's now going to speak about the sin he saw in himself. There I found what appalled me. A zoo of lusts. A bedlam of ambitions. A nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. Jesus led C.S. Lewis to see his sins in ways that led him to the, know the joy of Christ's salvations, in ways that even surprised him. Surprised by the joy of Jesus. Many of you know this joy. Why do we try to hide our sins when Jesus shows us our sins that we might know the joy of his forgiveness and the depths of his love? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is his grace and kindness that leads us like Peter to repent. But Jesus is still not finished yet. For after all this glorious work, Jesus then motivates, equips, and empowers Peter and his companions to live their lives as part of his mission. We will see how he does this in many ways as we look at the rest of the story in Luke and Acts. So where are you in this story? As I speak, how is the Spirit of God leading you to recognize this work of Jesus. This work of Jesus that allows you to see his word and deeds in harmony. This work of Jesus that allows you to hear his specific word to you. This work of Jesus that claims lordship over all areas of your life. This work of Jesus that motivates your obedience even if initially it's reluctant and maybe if initially it's arrogant. And 
is the Spirit of God and Jesus enabling you to see his infinite immeasurably more and leading you to surrender to his holiness, not hiding from repentance, but know that God rejoices over us sinners who repent. And is Jesus then motivating you to follow him, to be equipped by him, to join with others even in this community, to practice his words in deeds, in ways that lead others to know the joy of Jesus. When I was 13 years old, I did not understand how Jesus could take a person, lead them to follow him, and form them to be one who could help others to know and love him and know his immeasurably more in their lives. I give praise to God that so many of us here are recognizing this work of Jesus, are welcoming this work of Jesus, are calling it out amongst us, and are inviting others to be lifted up into the joy of Jesus. Let's worship him.